Meet Bruce. He likes to travel and loves sports cars. But living in his garage is an elephant that empties his bank account every month. But hey, that car is so worth it, right? That elephant can be anything from debt to materialism. Meet Jen. She loves shoes more than elephants love peanuts. But every time she buys a pair of shoes, she brings home an elephant that messes with her closet and her finances. Whether you have more than enough or are barely getting by, let go of that elephant and start living like no one else. Good morning. Great to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online or at one of our campuses. We're glad that you guys are here as well. Special shout out this morning to the North Charleston Dream Center. Uh, we're glad that you guys are with us. I love the Dream Center. I love your team up there. In fact, on my day off, uh, most weeks on Friday, I play disc golf with Jeff Leinberger, who's campus pastor up at the Dream Center. Disc golf is like regular golf, but for better athletes. Um, and so we play... <laughs> on Friday, and, um, and he actually beat me this past Friday, which is very rare. Uh, so if he's looking happy, that's what's going on. Jeff, by the way, sometimes you have to let the people that serve under you win. It's good leadership. So, um, <clears throat> but anyways, glad you guys are here. Uh, have you ever had an aha moment? You know, maybe you got a piece of information or you saw something that, that changed everything for you or changed a certain area of your life? I know I've had aha moments. Uh, for some of us, that's you see a picture of yourself on somebody else's Facebook page, and you're like, who is that bigger guy? Oh my goodness, that's me. What, how, did, how did that happen? You know, have you ever had that? You see a picture and you're like, uh-oh. Uh, that's happened to me before. Uh, sometimes the aha moment, maybe you're a casual St. Louis Cardinals fan, and you just happened to look at the standings recently to see that they're 18 games behind the Chicago Cubs with a week left in the season. Uh, how's that? If you're watching Jeff Surratt, uh, David Erzy, Internet Campus Pastor, we're glad you guys are with us, Cardinals fans. We're up 18 games on you guys with a week left. Um, for me in high school, it was progress reports. Those were aha moments. It's like, how did that happen? I thought I was doing just fine, but you get this little report that comes home. It could be looking at your bank statement. Well. Seriously, I had an aha moment this week for our church. Uh, we're, we're in a series called Live Like No One Else, and a lot of our church, a bunch of us, thousands of us, are actually going through Financial Peace University. There's over 4,000 adults going through it right now. We have about 1,500 students that are going through. Uh, it's called Generation Change. It's a teenage version of that. And then even our kids are going through Piggy Bank University written by our own children's Kids Coast team. And so this weekend at all of our campuses, your kids, if you have kids uh, in, in Kids Coast, they're gonna come away with a piggy bank here. Uh, don't toss it in the back of the car like you do with some of the other crafts that they get. This is a great opportunity to teach the kids how to use their finances. So we're all on this journey kind of learning together about personal finance, and it's been a lot of fun so far. But I had an aha moment this week on Monday morning. Uh, we were coming together to pray uh, every Monday right now during the series. We're just praying over you guys, over our church. And, um, and we got the numbers back from our first class, uh, Sunday night class. What we did in week two is we put a little financial snapshot in these classes. And we just asked you to answer three anonymous questions. The first one being, how much non-mortgage debt do you have? So this would be credit cards, this would be personal loans or student loans, non-mortgage Debt. And so the first class had just about 150 people fill out a card, and the number that I saw just blew my mind. So there's like an aha, oh my goodness, this can't be true. And so we've been having these classes at all of our campuses, and we've just been reporting 
these numbers. You guys wanna know that there have been a, a thousand people, about 1,094 people have actually, households have filled out one of these cards. You guys wanna know for, for 1,094 people how much non-mortgage debt Seacoasters have? You guys interested? No? You're probably a good call. Let's just not. <laughs> let's just go to the taste of Charleston and let's just not worry about it. $47,126,866. That's 1,093 that's households. That's the amount of debt. Some of you are already pulling your calculators out, trying to figure out what is that per family. Comes out to just over $43,000 per family. It's actually not that unrealistic of a number. And, and, and so if you calculate the number of families that call themselves seacoasters, and just said, if the average is $43,000 in non-mortgage debt, what would that look like for just our church, just us, all of our campuses? How much are we paying in non-mortgage debt? $301,543,018. Is that staggering? It's an aha moment for me. If you're wondering why we're doing the series, you need to wonder no more, that's why. And this is not a, a finger pointing thing. I actually put some of that in there. Uh, my wife and I are still working on some student loans and so this isn't a shame on you, but this is, this is reality check. This is just, this is what, 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 when we gather together on the weekends as seacoasters, we, we are carrying this kind of non-mortgage debt. You could say that uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors for this week's message, Visa, American Express, and <laughs> South Carolina Student Loan. Thank you. Oh, it, but, but man, I just, that stopped me, stopped me in my tracks. Oh my goodness, this is just insane. Can you imagine how much weight we, we carry in, how, what, what it would look like for us to start to see this number go down? The reality is we're doing a series called Live Like No One Else. Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else now so that we can live like no one else then. We're, we're living like everybody else. We really are. We're living like everybody else, but... What excites me is that several thousand of us were, were on this journey. Week one of this series, we talked about two paths, if you remember, the broad path, and the broad path is the one that most of us are on, most of the world is on, and it leads us to be stressed out in our finances, it leads us to uh, be, be in bondage, and ultimately it brings death in our, in our finances and our lives. And then, then there's this narrow path that, that God has called us to be a part of, and on this narrow path is peace, there's freedom, Ultimately, there's life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life. And that wasn't about finances, but it certainly didn't, uh, it certainly included our finances. Well, we've got several thousand of us that are going, that may be the picture, but we're getting on the narrow road and, and we're gonna work our way towards financial freedom. Last week, Pastor Joe Champion talked about marriage and money. You know, we know the leading cause of divorce uh, that's cited, according to statistics, is money issues. And so we talked about what powerful couples do to handle their money. What I wanna do this week is I, I wanna talk about the why. Because here's what I'm excited about. All, a lot of us are on this road, on this journey to, to experience freedom in our finances. But what happens then? What's the purpose <clears throat> of us being on this journey together? So that we can buy bigger things, nicer cars, bigger houses, and have better toys? Some of you are gonna do that, that's okay. Some will adjust their lifestyle some, but that's not why we're doing this series. The reason we're doing this series is because I believe every person in here, 
every person at our campuses, you were hardwired, you, you were created for a purpose, to accomplish a mission in our lives. And I just believe it's gonna be really hard for us to fully step into and experience everything God has for us if we're weighed down by our, our finances, if we're stressed out all the time, if we're, we're hurting. I believe that, that God has called us to great things, to make a huge difference in the world around us. And, and we're on this journey so that we can get ourselves to a place where whether that be blessing our family, making a difference in the neighbors around us and the people that we work with and, and the kingdom of God, we are in a position where we can say yes to what God has called us to do. The Bible says without vision, the people perish. And I wanna help you get a vision for your finances. And it starts off really with this statement. I believe that if you can't handle your money, you can't handle your destiny. If you can't handle your money, you can't handle your destiny. You're not gonna be able to fully walk into your destiny. And there's a story in the Bible that I think best illustrates somebody who had a purpose and a destiny for his life, and we see a direct correlation to how he handled finances that helped him live out that destiny. The guy's name is Joseph. If you uh, went to Sunday school growing up or you studied your Bibles, you know about Joseph. Joseph in the coat of many colors. and Great guy back in the Old Testament. Genesis 41, by the way, is where we're gonna be hanging out for most of our time together. Here's what I, what I love about Joseph. No matter what financial position is represented today that you find yourself in today, Joseph has been there. Uh, if, if you find yourself owning your own business, maybe, maybe you're in a position where you're resourcing lots of people, Joseph's been there. If you find yourself just at the end of your financial rope, Joseph has been there. He was a teenage dreamer at one point, no money, a lot of vision, living on mom and dad's money. There was a time where he was actually sold into slavery, so not only did he not own anything, but he was owned by other people. He, he found himself later in his life working up through an organization and be giving more and more, being given more and more responsibility uh, and management positions, more influence. Eventually he would have influence in people's lives around him. We, we can assume that he was able to take care of his needs financially as well as helping other people. And then he hits a bump in the road called prison. And he's falsely accused of rape actually. And he's thrown into jail and he's back at the bottom of, of the barrel, the end of his rope. And so you see this kind of up and down journey. But pick up the story in Genesis 41. This is when he's in prison and he makes some decisions that would lead him from being in prison ultimately to being a hero for the nation of Egypt and for the, the land all around him. And I wanna show you how the story ends for him, uh, not, not the end of his life, but how this culminates in his influence. If you look at Genesis 41, 56 through 57, it says, with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt and people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. So you see this picture of a, a famine, people's lives are being impacted and this man Joseph finds himself right at the center of healing and hope. He's giving out food. He's taking care of the needs of the people around him. So how did he get there? How did he go from being in prison to there, I'm glad you asked. We're gonna talk about it for a few minutes. Call it the Joseph Principle. I wanna, I wanna show you three things that he did that I think if we'll apply them to our personal finances, it's gonna reap incredible benefits, not only for us and our families, but for the people that God's called us to reach. And number one is this, always put God first. I know you're shocked that at church we talked about putting God first, but always put God first. You, you, can't, you can't overlook this in Joseph's story. Let me tell you what happens. <coughs> He's in prison, like I said, 
And so Pharaoh, he's the king of Egypt, the, the most powerful man, going about his business, goes to bed one night, falls asleep, and he has a dream, kind of an odd dream. In his dream, there were seven cows, seven healthy, think about like Nebraska corn-fed, just big old cows, you know, is it, I don't know what's organic, maybe you don't, grass-fed, grass-fed cows, they're, they're, they're looking good, big old sturdy animals. And then out of a, a river, he sees this picture of seven scrawny cows. If you think about, I don't know what kind of cows make steakums, but I think they would look like these scrawny <laughs> cows, right? And so they come up out of this river and these scrawny cows come over and eat these healthy cows. So I mean, that's odd. He wakes up and he's like, man, that was strange. But he kind of goes back to sleep, rolls over in his bed, and then he has another dream. And in this dream, there are seven healthy heads of grain, like really healthy and ripe and look great. And then an east wind blows and all of a sudden replacing them are these seven really unhealthy, wind-blown heads of grain. And so he wakes up in the morning and he's like, I don't know if you've ever had a dream that you felt like maybe there was more to it than just bad burritos. You know, there was something to it. He felt like there was some significance in this dream. And so he starts to ask his friends, hey, people around him, I, I, I'm telling the, this dream, what, what, anybody know what it means? Does anybody have any insight on what it means? And they're like, I don't know, man. You know, what did you eat last night? I'm not sure what that means. And then one of the guys goes, hey, I know a guy from jail. How many are thankful for a guy you met in jail? He's like, I, I know a guy... <laughs> I know a guy that I met in jail, I think he can help us out. And that's Joseph. Joseph had been in prison for a couple of years at this point, and, and, and so Pharaoh goes, well, whatever, I, 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 want an, I want an answer here, call the guy out. And that's where we pick up the story. Genesis 41, verse 15 and 16. says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. He says, man, I've heard about you. I've heard you've got some skill here. Hey, look what Joseph says to him. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and can set you at ease. Think, think about this for a minute. This is an incredible moment for Joseph. This is a moment he could pull his resume out. He could go, let me tell you about my background and dream interpretation because I've got a good background. Let me show you what I've got. But, but he doesn't do that. He says, no, 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 man, what you're asking, it's beyond my power to do it. But God, but God can interpret your dreams. You know, some of you are here today and need to shift from a, I'm just gonna work harder, I'm just gonna get better, I'm just gonna do more, I'm just gonna try harder. You need to shift from that mentality to, it's beyond my power to do this, but God. Maybe you're here today and you're in a situation, it could be a relationship, it could be your finances, it could be something that you go, I don't know if I have what it takes to climb out of this pit. I don't know if I have the ability, I don't know if I can do it. Can I tell you, you're in the right place? That when we get to that point where we go, all right, God, I'm gonna fully trust you, I'm gonna put you first, that's when things start to happen in our lives. That's when we can see the hand of God supernaturally at work. The scripture I love, the next one on your outline sheet, it's one of my life verses, Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek God first above all else and he'll give you everything you need. There, there's an order there. And as it was one of your pastors, I'd love to help you with numbers two through 10. You know, our relationships and our family and our kids and our, our work and our finances. I'd love to help you with those things. But if we don't get number one right, 
says that it's gonna be a, a really uphill battle for everything else. But if we will get number one right, if we'll, if we'll seek God with all of our heart, if we'll put him first in our lives, if we'll, if we'll put him at the beginning, that he says, I'm gonna give you what you need. I'm gonna take care of you. Put God first. What would it look like for you to put God first? Have you done that in baptism? I know last weekend, several of our campuses did baptisms. Lots of people said, you know what, I'm putting God first in my life. I know this weekend at the beach, Isle of Palms, four o'clock. For some of you, that's, that's the most spiritual thing you can do today is go, you know what, I've committed my life to Christ. I've received the gift of salvation, but I've never, I've never gone public with that. I've never identified myself as a part of his family. Come out to the beach. Join a bunch of other people who are gonna kind of swarm the beach and we're gonna get baptized. Well, we're gonna say, God, you're first in my life. I, I'm gonna put, put, put you first by getting baptized. What about in our finances? What would it look like for you to put God first in your finances? Did you know that the Bible talks about money more than it talks about prayer, more than it talks about heaven, hell? The Bible has all kinds of passages about money. Why does it talk about money so much? Because God knows how important money is to us. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. God's not after our money, he's after our hearts. He knows that what we put first in our lives ultimately is gonna reflect where our hearts are. So the Bible talks about the borrower being slave to the lender and you know, principles of, of generosity. The Bible also talks about tithing. And honestly, I, I was hesitant to even bring this up today because this series that we're doing, Live Like No One Else, I think we showed you already why we're doing the series because so many of us are hurting and our personal finances. This series is for you. It's not about what we need from you. We're not gonna make a big ask at the end of the series to go, can everybody, no, this series is about us helping each other to, to, to live a blessed life in our finances. But I can't talk to you about that without talking to you about principle of, of the tithe in the Bible. So I wanna show you this passage, Malachi 3, verses eight through 12. It says, will, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Then he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. One of the only places in the Bible you hear him say that. He says, put me to the test. It says, if I, if I won't open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Not only that, he kind of throws a little bit more in. He says, if, if you'll do this, if you'll put me to the test, it's kind of like that commercial. He says, if you sign up now, I'll also rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Not only will I open up heaven and bless you, but I'll also, there's an enemy that you have that has plans to, to harm you. I'll rebuke the enemy on your behalf. And he says in verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Well, what's that saying? I used to read that and think, you know, he says, well, you're cursed. You know, what does that mean? Is God walking around like a magic wand going flat tire, you know, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you. I don't think that's it at all. He says, if, if you ascribe to a, a cursed mindset and the, the ways of this world are cursed, you're gonna live a cursed life. You know what I think cursed is? $301 million in non-mortgage debt. That's cursed. That's living in a way that, that we're under the bondage of, of somebody else. God's saying, I don't want you to live that way. 
So, so, so if you'll put me to the test, if you'll, if you'll give a tenth of your income, if you'll return that to me, it's, it's all mine anyways, God owns everything. If you'll return a tenth, then you're gonna be blessed. And, and I, I have a hard time understanding how people get mad about that passage. That's such a life-giving passage. He says, man, do you want me to open up heaven? Do you want me to, and, and so I'm a pretty simple guy. It's about 18 years old when, when my wife and I read that and, and heard teaching and said, you know what? We weren't married at the time, by the way. That would be, you know, some of you were, but we weren't. Uh, but we started doing that. We were waiting tables. I'd make $40 in a shift at Outback and I'd come home and I'd put $4 into an envelope. And uh, you know, all week long, I would kind of put this money aside and then I'd come in on the weekend and when the, the time came to give offerings, back then we used to pass a plate. We don't do that anymore, we have offering boxes, but I would take that envelope and we would pray over it. We'd say, God, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for the income that you provided and we would give that back to him. And we've done it all of our lives since then. Now it's automated because it's just easier for us to do, but we, we've put God to the test on that. And, and you know what? We've been blessed. That doesn't mean we've always gotten promotions and we've gone through seasons where she's come home and stayed at home. We've made difficult financial decisions in our lives, but, but God has blessed us. We, 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 we don't worry about our finances. Put God to the test. Always put God first. A cool story, non-financially related. My son's playing soccer uh, this year. He's playing travel soccer, actually. First time we've done that. So we had our first tournament in Rock Hill a couple weeks ago. Thankfully, that's the only travel tournament of the year. But, but the coach held a meeting, right, as we were getting started in the season, and a parent meeting. And he was like, guys, I, I want y'all to know a few things. He went over a few ground rules. Some of them were hard to hear. Like one of them, he was like, listen, I'm the coach you're the parent, okay? So if you could do me a favor and let me coach and you just cheer for your kids, uh, but don't coach them from the sidelines. He's like, I'm, I'm working on some things with them that you may, may or may not know about. And sometimes I have parents that will tell them to do something that's different from what I told them. So please don't coach. I'm like, all right, so I'm trying, I'm doing okay on that. But one of the things that he said that I loved just blew me away. He said, and by the way, um, I don't know where you are on your faith journey. This is a you know, public league but he said, I start every practice and I end every practice with prayer. And if, if that makes your child feel uncomfortable, then we will work around that. We're gonna make something happen. But, but I can't give to your children what God hasn't given to me. And so every practice, at the end of practice, Coach Robert sits the team down and they, they talk about some prayer requests and they pray for each other. And I just loved it. Something when he said that, it challenged me. Even as a pastor, I'm like this is a man living out his faith, putting God first, a decision that probably wasn't popular with every parent on the team, but he, he did it because he, he's putting God first in his life. Always put God first. Always put God first. Let's go back to the story of Joseph. So we see him say, hey, I, I can't do it, but God can. And by the way, that's not the only area that we see. Even later in the story, um, we see Joseph actually, when he was buying land from the nations around Egypt, he didn't touch the land that was owned by the the priest, the Levitical priest of the, the Bible, because he knew that, that God had a plan for that. So he lived his life putting God first. But second thing he did is this, live like no one else during the good days. Live like no one else during the good days. So Pharaoh has this dream, tells it to Joseph, and, and look what Joseph does. He interprets it for him. Says so Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. Remember the cow and the the grains said, God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind, they represent seven years of famine. This is gonna happen just as I have described it. 
for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years are gonna be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt, but afterward there's gonna be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. It says the famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years are gonna be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it just means that God, that these events have been decreed by God that he's soon gonna make them happen. Therefore, says Pharaoh, you should find an intelligent and wise man. <clears throat> find an intelligent, I don't know if he really did that, but that's, you know. Find an intelligent and wise man, put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth or 20% of all the crops during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away, guard it so there'll be food in the cities. That way there'll be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine is gonna destroy the land. It's really a pretty simple dream, right? It says there's gonna be seven really good years. You're getting ready to get a raise. Prosperity is coming. You're getting ready to get blessed. Can I get an amen? Come on, Lord, we just receive that. It says, it says there's some good days coming. Wonder what everybody else is gonna do during those good days. Because here's what's true about it. The, the, the good years weren't just for Egypt. They happened to everybody. But what everybody else did during the good days is they allowed their level of living to increase to the level of their income. They spent it all. Come on, man, let's party. Next round's on me. I got it. They just, they lived it up. They enjoyed the harvest years. And, and Egypt didn't not enjoy them. That's not what it says. But they were wise during the good years. They lived like nobody else during the good years. It says, just, just prepare. Save a little for the thing that's coming around the corner that you don't know about yet. If, if you've been in the financial peace classes that we're doing, you, you've already heard a little bit about this. Dave talks about saving for three things. Save for the rainy day, for the emergency. Save for purchases. Instead of adding to this number, 301 million, just save a little bit, prepare ahead of time and, and pay with cash for the purchases. And then he talks about saving for, for the future, for wealth building, for, for retirement, to, to be able to be a blessing to other people and to your family. Dave's coined the phrase, live like no one else now so that you can live like no one else later. Honestly, that's what you see in Joseph. That's what you see God saying, hey, just live wisely. Do, do the right thing during the good days. I love the way Proverbs, uh, Solomon said it in Proverbs 6, 6 and 8, 6 through 8. He said, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Come on, sometimes you just gotta appreciate the Bible for telling it like it is. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. It says, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they don't have a prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. Work during the summer, gather food for the winter. It's a fairly simple concept. You know, uh, rainy days are coming. I don't have a prophetic word for you about seven good years and then seven bad years, but what I did do is I looked up the U.S. economy. This is the trend line for, since 1948 till 2009. Do you notice any patterns? Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. 2009, anybody remember that one? Down, that was a tough, tough season. Right now, we're at 2016, things have kind of moved up. I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm not telling you that I've heard from God, but, but what I can tell you based on our history is that there's probably some bad days sometime in the future. Then there's gonna be some good days. What if we live like no one else during the good days so that we can be prepared for the bad days? Most of us agree with that. 
Most of us recognize, man, it would be smart to put some money aside for, for those purposes. It's not like uh, it takes rocket science to figure that out. But the problem is, in order to really effectively do it, we gotta learn how to live on a budget, right? So I wanna show you this video that's probably rec representative of where many of us are as it relates to living on a budget. Check it out. Hey, I'm Ken Coleman. Let's ask people, do you do a budget? What's your monthly budget process look like? Is it, do you sit down and have a meeting at the table? Do you use a software? Do you write it out on paper? Talk to me about that. Well, um, I usually with my... Uh, um, oh, that, okay, budget. Right now, the budget is just go with the flow. Go with know, the flow. Pay whatever Sorry. you need to pay. Well, I don't have a set budget. Usually it just goes like as I need. So. You're just calling mom and dad saying, hey, send me a little more money? Yeah, but I, I mean. <laughs> Is it working for you? Do you have a lot of months where you find that you've got more going out than coming in? You're like, where's the money going? How does that ever happen? Oh yeah, definitely. The plan that I have in terms of not being such a vagrant is partially to talk to my friend and just like actually do a monthly thing, like look at my expenses, which I literally haven't done and I'm 39. It's a budget, man. I actually don't, uh, I don't really have a budget. It's scary to look at money, right? Um, we have a meeting, but we don't really talk about the budget very often. Uh, I try to save it, she tries to spend it. <laughs> but do you, so you're not sitting down going, this needs to go here, this needs to go, there's no real plan, correct? There, there's not a, no, nothing on a piece of paper. You're not specifically outlining where no. the money should go. I've tried to do that, that's really hard to do though. It would probably serve a good purpose to do that. I'm not strong with numbers, but I'm generally knowing when I'm entering too much screwing around stage. So I've been able to rely on that, but right. clearly as the Amex guy said today, I'm not as right. clever as I thought. I believe in working as little as I can and having fun and living life rather than being a slave to a job. I know my habits, so I don't have to think consciously about a budget per se. Come on, come on, that hits a little close to home. You know, there's a few of you, there's a small percentage, you love this stuff, you love numbers, and you, you crunch them. My brother is that way, it drives me crazy uh, how good he is at that. In fact, he's part of the reason we're doing this series. He's really worked behind the scenes to, to get these classes set up, and it just comes naturally for him. He, he was a business major in college, and he loves this stuff, but for the rest of us, it's a bit of a challenge at times, and that's why we're doing financial peace. That's why we're, we're taking these classes. We're learning together during these classes how to put a plan together. It's not as complicated as, it, as it, it, it seems like for us sometimes, and we're just, we're working this plan. By the way, Dave Ramsey, uh, who is gonna be here next weekend, I don't know if I told you that yet, but Dave Ramsey is gonna be preaching at Seacoast, all of our services next weekend, and so I wanna encourage you, obviously, to be here. Um, I was having lunch with Dave in March when we were kind of planning this out. It's interesting because he, he's never really taught in churches before until the last couple of years and he started doing it and said, why are you doing churches now? And he said, honestly, I've got such a following of people that don't go to church, that love to listen to my radio show. He said, I found that when I come and preach in a church, I'll talk about money, but I'm gonna share the gospel. He said, I've got a heart for evangelism. I think God wants me to use the platform I have to reach people for Christ. And so let me just encourage you that you've got people in your life that would normally say, absolutely not, I'm not going to, to church with you. They wouldn't be interested in, in spiritual things necessarily, but they would absolutely come listen to Dave Ramsey speak. I wanna encourage you to think about somebody in your life that you wanna invite, because who knows, it could be a turning point for that person. God may get a hold of their heart in a way that he, he never has 
before. And so be thinking about that. But, but Dave says the single most important thing that you can do that, that helps you get to financial freedom is a budget, is, is working a budget. And so we're, we're learning that in these classes. Now, I know a lot of you are in the classes. I also know a lot of you are not. You may think, well, I, I guess I missed this opportunity. Well, I've got good news for you. Next week, after Dave's here, we're gonna launch a whole nother round of financial peace classes. And so you may have missed the, the first wave, but another wave is coming at all of our campuses. We're launching another wave of classes. If you go to livelikenooneelse.org, you can look up at your campus and you can find when those classes are gonna be. Some of them are gonna be on site. Some of them are gonna be small groups that meet in people's homes. I just wanna encourage you, do it, do it. It's gonna be such a blessing for you. You're gonna be so glad that you did. My wife and I did it uh, my first year of marriage, 15 years ago. And I'm telling you, some of the things that we did, we started saving towards our retirement during that class, putting at that point $100 a month as 21-year-old kids. And my gosh, how that is gonna bless us. We have peace about our future because we've, we, we started something a long time ago and there's this deal called compound interest that we learned about through Dave that, that's gonna be a real blessing for us. So get involved in those classes. Okay, put God first, always. Live like no one else during the good days. This is, this is where it gets good. Third thought here, make a difference during the hard days. Make a difference during the hard days. I believe that if we will put God first, if we're gonna live like no one else during the good days, we're gonna be in a position, much like Joseph was, to make a difference during the hard days. And this is where I love this story. Because Joseph could have predicted, and he actually did, that, that they would be able to take care of the needs of Egypt. But, but something happened two years into the famine something happened that I don't know that Joseph even knew was coming. Remember, he was sold into slavery. Well, that was by his brothers. He had 11 brothers, um, and two years into this famine, as Joseph is positioned to help people out, to serve people with, with the excess that they had saved, in walks 10 brothers into his presence, and he immediately recognizes them. It's his brothers. These guys who had sold him into slavery have now found themselves in a position where they're hurting financially. And, and they come into Joseph's presence and he's got an opportunity, not only to be a blessing for the country, but to be a blessing for his brothers. And it's just an incredible emotional experience. You have to go back and read it, but I wanna show you in Genesis 45, verses four through seven. It's this moment where Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that's ravaged the land for two years is gonna last for five more years. There's gonna be neither planting or harvesting. I love verse seven. But God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. But God has sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. You know, I believe God prophetically intervened on behalf of that nation. But I can't help but wonder if God isn't prophetically intervening on behalf of another generation right now. You know, we've spent a lot of time praying and planning. We believe that God has called us to do this series right now. That perhaps God is sending you ahead to start making some decisions now that it may be a few years, it may be seven years, it may be decades later that you realize, oh, that's why, that's why he called us to do that. And it could be to preserve a generation, it could be your own 
kids. That's what I get excited about with this series. Seeing us live in a way that we can be a blessing to people around us. What if God's leading us to make some changes right now that are gonna position us as families and as a church to be a place of hope, to be a light for others during dark days? There's so much joy that comes with helping others. Pastor Robert Morris, uh, who has spoken here at Seacoast before, great, great leader, and he tells this story to his church, and it really struck me. I heard him share this a few months ago, and tells this story to his church about a, a man that, that attended his church that got into a habit of, of generosity. He actually, him and his wife, set some generosity goals years before, but, but they begun to do something years and years ago that, that has become a habit for them. And, and basically what they do is they take a few hundred dollars every month, and, and every morning they'll get a couple hundred dollars out of their safe, and, and he carries it around in his pocket. And he just walks around and he lives in such a way that he's saying, God, I want you to show me if I'm supposed to bless somebody with this. And so sometimes it's a server in a restaurant, sometimes it's a homeless person, sometimes it's somebody that they know, sometimes it's just a random person that he'll sense God saying, hey, I want you to bless this person, and he'll go and he'll give them $100. Well, one weekend after church, this man was walking to his car, and he saw a woman walk into her car. And so he felt like God said, hey, I want you to give that person $100. So he pulls the, the cash out of his pocket, and he pulls $100 out, but then he realizes there's a $20 bill next to the $100 bill. And he feels like God says, I want, no, I want you to give her 120. Give her the 22. And he's like, well, God, I don't do that. I do hundreds. That's our deal. We've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> so, uh, but, but he, he kind of gets on board. And so he takes $120 and he walks over to this woman. He says, this is gonna seem weird, but I feel like God told me to give you $120. Well, this woman just starts sobbing. And he's like, well, what's going on? And she says, well, I'm new to this church thing, and this weekend I actually tithed for the very first time ever. And I made $1,000 last week, and I gave $100 in the offering, and, and I decided to give $100. And as the offering was coming by, I felt like God told me to give an extra 20. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And he said, just trust me on this. So I gave $120 in the offering today. And as I'm walking to my car, you walk up to me and give me $120. She's crying because it was kind of God's way of saying, hey, you can trust me. You can trust me with this area of your life. And that's a cool story. But that's not what struck me the most about the story. What struck me is Robert was telling us a story back in March. He said he, he took his family to his house for lunch after church that day, after telling that story to the church. And his daughter, who was in her 20s and who was kind of having a crisis of faith, she'd been in church some, she'd been out of church some, and she's kind of on, on the line. She grabbed him at his house and said, can I talk to you, Dad? And she pulled him into the office and she starts crying. And she said, Dad, you told that story about the guy who gives $100 away. That man is you, isn't it? He'd never told a soul other than his wife, but it was actually him that did it. And she was like, I, I know I've seen you pull servers to the side. I've seen you, you know, get out of the car at stoplights and I've seen you go talk to people. And I always ask mom, what are you doing? Well, what's dad doing? And, and she says, he's talking to them about the Lord, but you were also giving them $100, weren't you? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, it's something God's called us to do. And, and for him, in that moment, he said his daughter looked at him and said, Dad, I wanna be like you. I wanna be like you. And it was a turning point for her spiritually. She saw the generosity of her father and it, it caused her to wanna, wanna be more like him. And it ultimately, it caused her to, to give her, her life to Christ. 
telling you, something about that story just struck me. I want that to be me. I do. I want my kids to see me. Now, I don't want to pass on to my kids stress and worry and a poverty mentality and we're never going to have it. I want to pass on a spirit of generosity to my kids that they'd go, man, I want to be like you. I want to experience the joy of making a difference for other people. And so, um, by the way, the $100, that was a message illustration. I'm not giving that away today um, unless God <laughs> tells me to. Um, but, but, but I wanna, I wanna make some decisions now. I came home when I heard that, I told Lisa about it. I was like, we're gonna do that. It may not be hundreds. We may start with fives. We may start with 20s. But I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. I wanna live in such a way that I can be a blessing. I wanna close with this story or this, uh, this scripture, Deuteronomy 30, 19. Kinda lays it out there for us. Today I've given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Oh, that you would choose life. Friends, if we can't handle our money, we're never gonna fully experience the destiny that God has for us. I want us to be a church that lives that out, that makes a difference in the lives of others. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I am so grateful for this church God, I'm so grateful for the courageous steps that many of us have taken, Lord, just to, 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 to bring, in, bring into focus for a season our personal finances. And God, I pray that as we do this, as we make hard decisions, as we decide to trust you first, Lord, not only with our finances, but in all of our lives, as we make decisions to live like no one else right now, as we make decisions to make a difference in the lives of others, I just pray, God, that you would, God, just, move across this place with your hand of blessing. God, that you would just change the atmosphere among us as we begin to, to honor you in the area of our finances. And God, for the people that are here today that maybe they're just in a really, really tough place, I pray like Joseph did, that they would say, it's not me that can do this, but God can. And that you begin to bring healing and restoration and hope in every area of our lives. We love you, God. We commit ourselves to you again today in Jesus' name, amen.